You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to Testudo Times Podcast. I'm Matt Levine, and today with Lila Bromberg, we'll be talking about the Terps who are just coming off of a win against Purdue at home. They fell to Iowa on the road, and they fell to Wisconsin on the road, both unranked opponents. Tough losses for them, but they picked it back up and were able to win against Purdue yesterday. But before we get into those games, we'll talk about how crazy the men's basketball Big Ten Conference is right now. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like what is going on right now. Yeah, I mean, overall, just for everyone, it's been a crazy college basketball season, but I don't think that anything matches the level that the Big Ten was at. I kind of explored it this week and was just in shock while I was writing this article. So you look at the conference and you look just first at wins over ranked opponents, you know, by the top six conferences in the country, regardless of whether the team playing them was ranked or not. The Big Ten currently is 26 wins over ranked opponents. The next team, the next conference has 13 with the Big 12 and ACC both with 13, the Pac-12 with 12, the SEC with 10, and the Big East with 7. So that's twice as many as, as any other conference. And then you looked at you know wins for unranked teams over ranked opponents, and again, the Big 10 is leading by a lot. You have 13 for the Big 10. The next conference has three, and that's the Pac-12, SEC, and Big East. Then you have the ACC with three as well, and the Big 12 with one. So... There's just a huge disparity there. And then, you know, you just look at the conference standings for Maryland and you've got two ranked teams at the top to, in Michigan State and Illinois at 15 and 24. But, you know, you have Maryland now in a tie for fourth place. And then you have Michigan and Ohio State just completely towards the bottom of the standings. You have Ohio State tied for uh, 13th place right now at 2 and 5. And then you have Michigan... Uh, right above them at two and four. So, and those are the 19th and 21 uh, ranked teams in the country. That's likely to change this week. Um, might be by the time you're listening to this podcast, but that's kind of crazy. I mean, Ohio State was thought of as one of the best teams in the country at one point. Michigan beat the number one team in the country right now in Gonzaga, and they're, you know, in the bottom of this conference. Uh, so it's just, been, it's been pre- pretty crazy so far. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen so many home teams just find a way to win. I think now Big Ten teams at home are 41-7 and against conference opponents. And I think, like, coming down the stretch at the end of the year, teams can't win on the road. The leader in this conference is going to have somewhere between four and six losses. Right now, Michigan State only has one. But, I mean, if they start falling away and falling on the road, Things are going to change, and things keep changing. I think it's so interesting. Yeah, and they've only played two road games, and they're one and one in those games. So they've they've played significantly less road games than anyone else. So it will be interesting to see once that schedule picks up for them. But I mean, I think also it's just interesting. The projections right now for this conference in March. Right now, you have Andy Katz projected that twelve teams would make it into the tournament. Um, he said that number could change, but he guaranteed that the Big Ten would have the most teams out of any conference in the tournament. And the conference did so last year, and that was with eight teams, which was a high uh, for the conference. So, 
I mean, you're looking at definitely a historic year for the Big Ten right now. And I think just for college basketball, I mean, you look at yesterday, you had number three Duke, number four Auburn, number five Butler, number 12 West Virginia, number 16 Wichita State, number 20 Colorado, and number 21 Ohio State all lose in, in one day. It's just crazy. It's just speechless. I mean, no, I, I can't tell if everyone's bad or if everyone's good this year. I mean, there's definitely not a great team like a couple years ago where you'd say Kentucky's going to win it all and they'd go undefeated and go to the championship or Duke is going to win. Like last year, everyone thought with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, I've never seen a team with talent like that. So I thought Duke would win it all. They ended up not, but... Because experience precedes talent when it comes to money. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's no team here that I'm saying they're going to win the tournament. I, I don't, I, I mean... Yeah, I, I, I everyone, truly don't know. Everyone's pretty much the same or can beat, anyone can beat anyone this year. It, it's just such a weird season so far. Yeah, Auburn lost twice this week. There's only one undefeated team left, and that's San Diego State. And I don't... I mean, maybe it's like the year where Kawhi Leonard was there and they can find a way to make it far. But honestly, I couldn't tell you for the life of me who is going to win the NCAA tournament right now. I really couldn't. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I was thinking Michigan State. I'm not so sure about that now, though I do think they do stand a good chance. But it's really, really hard to say uh, at this point in the season. It's just been a ridiculous season. I think you're going to have an NCAA tournament that's going to be unlike anything we've seen in a really long time. And get this, six losses this week for the top five teams in the country. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. Duke lost twice, Auburn lost twice, and Butler lost twice. That's they all crazy. lost twice, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so you're going to see a, definitely a reshaping of the top five and top ten this week with just everyone that lost. I mean, if Maryland had managed to get that win at Wisconsin, they would be moving up a decent bit, but that was not the case over this past week. So we'll get into that. I think loss. Yeah, I, I guess we'll get into that now. I I think it's so crazy to me how they basically lost that game in 13 seconds, pretty much, and they're gonna drop a couple spots in the rankings. It seems like, and I just I think sports has. I, I know Rob Parker on Fox Sports always says this that sports is a short menu, wins and losses. So I guess if you look at they lost and they kind of blew the game, but the fact that they that, that was the, easily their best game on the road all season by far, and they they should have won that game. I I don't even know if I'd put them down. I definitely wouldn't move them up after that game, but I don't know how far I'd move them down. Yeah, I mean it looked for the entire second half like they're gonna win it. They didn't look great in the first half, but they really came out and did what they needed to do in the second half. And I mean, I was just astonished by the end of that game. It went by really fast, and I was surprised no one called a timeout. There wasn't a better in inbounds play drawn, which you know Turgeon talked about after the game. You know, Wisconsin was up nine zero to start. Um, and Maryland, you know, fought their way back in it towards the end of the second half. and Sorry, the end of the first half, and then really was in it for the second half. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they could have won that game. I think they had just called a timeout there. Um, but the team talked about after the loss how they thought that they competed a lot better on the road and that, you know, they showed more fight, which definitely was true. But 
I mean, you got to be able to execute in those late game situations. And, you know, that's really important. And, you know, this year, no one really thought Wisconsin would be good. Um, and they had some really weird losses early on to just bad teams. But, I mean, they have more road wins in the Big Ten than any other team right now. And they've knocked off a ton of ranked opponents. So they definitely look like someone that, you know, people underestimated a little bit. And that's kind of going to sneak up on you. And, you know, it definitely, I think Maryland was prepared for it, but it kind of just snuck up on them towards the end there. And they just kind of, you know, like I said, didn't execute like they needed to. And that really cost them there. And that's something you really got to clean up to be able to execute those late game situations. Because I think that's something that this team has struggled with in the past is, inbounds plays um, in those situations and you got to work on having some better things drawn up and having a plan if you can't get the ball in the you know know that you need to call a timeout and then maybe having a better play drawn up when you're coming back up on the court and you have whoever time however much time was left and Anthony Cowan's trying to take that shot I feel like they could have gotten a better look there so yeah I, I think a lot of it just comes down to planning and communication yeah, I think there's really no excuse for not calling that timeout, especially, I mean, I think Morcel inbound to that probably on the fourth second, maybe on the four, like at four and a half seconds before it was a five-second violation. So they almost turned it over without even passing the ball in. So I think there definitely needed to be called a timeout, and Anthony Cowan took blame for that post game, which as the senior leader, he kind of should. Um, but I think... The play was definitely drawn so that Cowan gets the ball and shoots free throws because he's, I think he's still, I don't know if he still does, but as of a week or two ago, he had the most made free throws in the Big Ten. So, I mean, he's one of the best big, he's one of the best free throw shooters in the conference. The play was to get him the ball and he didn't really do too much to get open. It kind of looked like he just ran towards the baseline and stood there a couple seconds and then tried to break towards half court. And that's when the pass came in, and it was a little behind him. So I think if he did, if there was something drawn where a screen got him open or he did a little bit more than just run to the baseline, stand there for two seconds, and then try to get open, I think things would have been different. But Well, I think you also have to have a backup option. You know, you, If you're yeah. in a late game situation, there shouldn't just be one guy you're trying to get open. There needs to be a backup because it's there's well, no guarantee it's going to go according to plan. I think Jalen Smith was streaking from half half court towards the ball, but Morcel saw him a little too late. That's what I was guessing at, but I think if Jalen Smith broke a little earlier, he probably would have been open. There's just so, so much went wrong in, in just such a short amount of time. The fact that Davison tipped the ball, somehow it stayed in bounds, and then he chucked it off of Morcel, who was still standing out of bounds. Yeah, I didn't get that call, but... Like, I've definitely seen the ball get thrown off of the inbounder, but I've never seen someone tip it where it somehow stays in bounds. It looked like there was, like, a magnet that kept it in bounds. <laughs> At first, I thought it hit the line, and then he threw it off Morcel. I was like, they got to review that. But then the second look showed it definitely didn't. It stayed in bounds somehow. Yeah, but and I didn't think the I, defense was great on that next play either. I mean, I felt like Marcel got to Davison a little too late. Well, that's where I think the play calling for the Badgers was really good. Because 
I don't know who the first screen was set by, but they set a double screen on Morsell that Davison came around to on the on the right wing. And Reavers was the second screen, who's a six eleven. He's huge. And I think that's where Jalen Smith should have popped out and helped in the corner where Davison was because Morcel got stuck and Jalen Smith just went to rebound the, the shot. Like, yeah, he's, he's the, he is the rebounder on this team, but I think when you're, a guy in that situation gets caught in a screen, you have to pop out and help on defense. There was nowhere for Morcel to go. I don't think that – yes, he was late, but I don't think that's his – he couldn't get around the screen, and that's just... That's what, true, that's fair. That's just good play calling. That's really good setting of the screens by those guys on Wisconsin. I think they did that much better than Maryland did, obviously, late. And that three, I mean, you knew that was going in the second he shot that just because of the way college basketball has been going right now. There was no way he was going to miss that shot. So I think it's just so much went wrong for them in such a short amount of time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, that's something they've got to figure out because down the line in March and just in the Big Ten round games, that's something that you have to be able to do is draw better plays um, and execute them in those late situations because you're inevitably going to face one just with the way this conference is, with the way things get in March, and that's something that's really hindered them in the past. One, another you know thing that really stood out to me for that game was Aaron Wiggins really finding his groove back uh, he was coming off the bench for the first time uh, this season, and, you know, he did really well doing that. You know, he finished with 13 points and five rebounds, um, and he was shooting at a much better percentage than he had been. Um, you know, just, I think he was 50% from three in the game. I believe he was two for four, and... You know, he, Anthony Cowan Jr., and Jalen Smith led the Terps in scoring, but you really saw that, you know, Wiggins was just finding himself back. I think it kind of took, he said, it didn't really take pressure off of him. It did a little bit, but you could just tell he was more comfortable coming off the bench. And I remember last year wondering why he wasn't starting, and some people had said that he was just more comfortable off the bench, and it kind of seems like that's the case. Um, so you have to wonder if they're going to continue to stick with that or what's going on. Because um, that, again, was the case against Purdue, and he had another good game. But it was just nice to see him back, you know, playing like himself. Yeah, before I, I talk about Wiggins, I think it'd be crazy not to mention the play uh, in the Wisconsin game where I think it was, there was two minutes and three seconds on the clock. The ball clearly hit off of a uh, player in Wisconsin's knee. There were some questionable calls in that game. Straight out of bounds, did not get touched by anyone, and it was Wisconsin's ball. Now, if there was three seconds later, they would have been able to review that under two minutes. But it was two minutes and three seconds, I think, was on the clock. So they couldn't review it. I mean, there was just so many questionable calls, and that, I also think, hurt Maryland so much because that was clearly off of Wisconsin, and they somehow still got the ball. And Maryland would have had it under their own basket. So... I just think that, I mean, I don't like to criticize officiating, but something's got to be a little bit better, especially late in games like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm never one to, like, blame games on, on refs, and I, I think that ultimately Maryland could have won this game if they had executed properly, but 
I mean, you have to wonder just the role that Big Ten refs have been playing into all the different upsets and streaks because, I mean, I've watched a lot of college basketball. I've covered a ton of games, and I have to say Big Ten refs are some of the worst refs out there. I mean, and that's not just a Maryland thing. I see it more in other games, actually. Um, and so I think that's something that definitely needs to start being cleaned up a little bit because the calls just all around and between all the games I've seen, because I, you know, watch a fair bit of Big Ten basketball just to stay informed on the conference and stuff, and there's been a fair bit of questionable calls this year. Yeah, to say the least. But as for Aaron Wiggins, I think he definitely looks so much more comfortable coming off the bench, and I don't really know if they're going to continue to do that because now Eric is kind of struggling, and he's been starting. So... I don't know what they're going to do based on getting both guys going because they need both of those guys. At Iowa, they were not non-existent, both of them. I think Ayala had two points, or Wiggins had two points, Ayala had zero. One of them had zero, one of them had two. But um, neither of them hit a field goal in that game. So they really both need to get start get going. And For this team, they need Aaron Wiggins and they got him against Wisconsin. He played really well. He played 34 minutes, which was the third most on the team behind Cowan and Jalen. And he shot four of eight from the field, three of six from three, and two of two from free throw line. He also grabbed five rebounds as well. So I think he's really just – this was his game that he needed to have. He had 13 points. Um, he, he, I think he's going to start getting, getting it now, getting in his groove. I'm not too sure what – the stance is now on whether he goes into the NBA next year. He's like, to me, he's clearly more of an NBA player than he is a college player, but I think he hasn't had the year that he wanted to have so far. And I don't know what NBA scouts are going to say to him, but I mean, I think that'll be interesting to see if he comes back for his junior year or goes to the draft where I think he might not even get picked at this point because he's been struggling so much, but this is definitely much needed. He needed a game where he's shooting well, especially from three, because that's his strong suit. Yeah, I think that before the season, I mean, he wasn't someone that was showing up on a lot. Of, he was showing up on some, some mock drafts, but I think it was a lot of people inside the program and reporting on the program who I especially have been one of them who was saying that, you know, he really could get drafted, especially once we start seeing his athleticism. And I think right now his chances aren't as high, but if he can really pull together a string now, I mean, there's still a lot of basketball left to be played. The amount of players that seal themselves with NBA draft picks just through the latter part of play and through March Madness play is ridiculous. And I think that if he can really have a strong second half of the season, I think he does still have a chance to get drafted because I think I think right now we're at a point in NBA drafting where a lot of it is looking at athleticism and, and different physical aspects and I think that there's no denying the athleticism he's had this year and so I think that's something that'll really go his way but I'm really not sure right now I don't even think it was his intention to enter the draft after this year he never talked about it it was something that was just like some people were talking about he didn't even really think that he could be an NBA talent after this year he's a really humble guy so I think his plan was always to come back for next year and it was going to be like if he gets that feedback and is really being told to go, then he, he would explore it. But I think you just have to see. I think his numbers, I mean, his season averages are still pretty impressive. And I think if he can really get 
his shooting percentage together. I think he's shown that he's athletic enough, and like you said, that he really can be a good NBA player. So I think that's still to be foreseen, but certainly not as high of a chance as we thought there was at the beginning of the season. I think it will really depend on how he performs uh, down the stretch. And I think we have to mention the jump that Jalen Smith is making from yeah, the for sure. to now. I mean, he's gotten so much better, so much more confident, shooting the ball better from mid-range and from beyond. He's better inside. He's better rebounding, shot blocking. Literally every part of his game has gotten so much better. And it's, it's, it's nice to watch, especially from someone who is covering this team. Just watch this guy get so much more. His talent has really come into his own, I think. I mean, he was a little rusty and young and, and raw, it almost looked like, in the beginning of the year. But now he's looked like one of the best big men in the country. Yeah, he's really taken ownership of that spot down low. And Trojan has talked about a lot this year. All summer, I mean, before they really knew what was going on with Chole, his plan was to have Jalen at the at the four and, and have, you know, one of the Mitchell twins at the five. Um, but he stepped in and played that five role and he's looked really good these past few games. I mean, we'll get into Purdue, but in a few minutes, but just to look at his stats from that game, he did his ninth double, double of the season. He had 18 points and 10 rebounds. And he also had four blocks. Um, and he shot eight for 13 from the field in that game, which is a very, very impressive percentage. He also shot two for five from deep. I mean, he's had at least two threes and numerous of their past few games um and if you look at you know a certain stretch over the past month or so he's been the best three-point shooting um player on this team by far you know he's not taking as many shots as the other guys but I think I want him to be taking more I mean it makes this team so much better when Jalen Smith is able to space the floor and shoot threes because people aren't expecting it and it just adds another layer to the game and that's something that's going to really help him with the NBA draft, too, is scouts being able to see, yes, he's 6'10", but he can shoot with three. Yeah, I mean, I always talk about how in the NBA, the big guys are now starting to shoot. So for that part, for that part of his draft stock, at least, it's gotten so much better. I mean, he, he has one of the best percentages on the team now, if not the best in the, the past couple of games. So I, I agree. I think Maryland should have him shoot more. But again, I think I said this on last week's podcast that, or last last episode we recorded that it, it has to be kind of like a back back of the pocket option where it's off a screen and he pops out if he's open, or so, somewhere where he it just kind of happens, not a, a play where they they need to go to that. That's more of where I would get Wiggins or Cow in a three. If they need a three, I wouldn't say that I would want. Jalen Smith taking it. I'd rather have him down low rebounding so that they could kick it out if needed. But I definitely think that they should try more set a pick and he just pops out and shoots because that really works. Yeah, it really does. Um, and another player that I – actually, before I get into that, I think one thing with Jalen was I saw him dropping off a bunch of mock drafts. Um I haven't seen like a, a one that's been updated recently. I honestly don't think the people doing mock drafts do a very good job of looking into like all sorts of ranges of players, in my opinion. I've never been a huge fan of them. But Jalen Smith was dropping a little bit after you know some shaky performances against Penn State and Seton Hall and things like that. So I'm interested to see what happens now that he's been playing a lot better. Um, 
I think he has to go after this year, honestly. I think maybe there's a chance he comes back, depending on what he hears. But, I mean, I think he still should be maybe not as high of a first-round pick as everyone expected, but I think he still should be a first-round pick in this draft. I agree. I think his talent is 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 one that most guys don't have. He's big. He, he can really do everything, it seems like. And he's he's young, so he can learn and develop so much more. But I think the last mock draft I saw was either last week or the week before sometime. ESPN put him at number 53, which would be the seventh to last pick. Yeah, he's fallen a bit. Yeah. So, I, I mean, my opinion is if he's t- getting told by scouts, you're going to go late second round, I don't think he's going to leave. Yeah, no, because he's a first-round talent. Exactly. So, I, But I'm I saying know. I think that's going to change. That's why I don't really buy into too much of these mock drafts. But exactly. So much can change. I think at some point, whether it's this year or next, he's a first-round talent by far. And I thought Bruno Fernando was, but I don't know what happened there. Bruno Fernando was. That was ridiculous. Yeah. But I think definitely Jalen Smith is just developing the way he needs to, and he's, he's just gotten so much better throughout the year. And his confidence is just through the roof at this point. He's he's like he's playing fun. He's playing loose. You can really tell that just by watching. Yeah, and one player that I was also really impressed with yesterday against Purdue. I guess we'll talk about players a little bit and then get it into the game itself. Uh, I was really impressed with Dante Scott. He had the best game of his Maryland career by far, um, at least in terms in terms of scoring. Um, he had 13 points. Uh, he had a block. He had six rebounds, and he shot five for eight from the floor and two for four from deep. So I thought, and that was in 24 minutes. He's really, I was not very confident in the combination of him and, and Jalen Downlow just because, you know, Dante doesn't have as much height as a lot of the guys in the Big Ten. And, you know, I thought that that would be a blow for Maryland with the Mitchell twins leaving and, uh, you know, Shoal not being completely ready but he's looked really impressive these past few games as well and you know he's a big man that can also shoot the ball in high school he played mostly point guard like he played one through four and he has really adjusted into this four position well and it's really nice to have two big men that can also shoot with three that's something that's just like when you have both of them that are shooting at a high level and can jump out and shoot a three, like that just brings this team to another level because, you know, you don't expect the team to have two big men that can shoot, maybe one. And, you know, you've got to be sure that the opponent's probably underestimating one of them. So that's huge for this team. After that play where he had the chase down block, or I don't don't remember, he had a big block. Yeah, he had the block, a three, and then another three. Yeah, came down. Nails a three and the same, basically the same possession, and I think that was like the the storyline where Maryland's defense has been translating into offense recently, and we saw it right there with Dante Scott. I think he's also gotten so much more confident. He's never really ha- he's never really lacked the confidence, but now he's starting pretty much every game. Um, he's getting minutes. He's really been a part of this lineup that they use. And I think it's so crazy that he has, he has this weight behind him. He's such a big guy. He might not, he's six seven, which is still tall, but 
for a big man, you said you, you mentioned the height, but his weight and his strength is just yeah. And as a freshman, I mean, imagine what he's going to be yeah. as a sophomore. It's even better than some of these big guys in the Big Ten. So he's really able to compete and shooting five of eight, two of four behind the arc. He easily had one of his best shooting days, but I think the six rebounds and the block that he had, and he's just playing such good defense where opponents aren't really scoring on him too much. There's never really a time where he gets burned either. Well, you, you, sometimes you'll see the occasional time where Jalen Smith gets burned in the post or whoever else is down low. Chol has been happening to a, it's it's been happening to him a lot, but obviously that's different. He hasn't played in many in two years almost. So and he's not getting as many minutes, of course. Right. I think Dante Scott has been one of the most solid players on this roster in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think that after a year or two, he could 100% be an NBA player. I mean, he has the build. Yeah, he has the build by far. Now, I think the Maryland uh, basketball Twitter called him the Philly Bull. Being There's been so many. Re- like, I just love all the names for Dante Scott. I mean, yeah, we've had Daryl Morsell say that he's like a pit bull and he'd want him fighting for him in an alley. I believe earlier in the season we got a freight train. Yes. Um, I believe oh. there was one more. I forget what it was. But there have been some really funny, like, just analogies and nicknames for him. And it, it was really funny. I mean, he's a guy that was kind of nervous around media to start the year. I remember I ran into him on the bus before media day for basketball. And I was talking to him. Like, he didn't really know. He kind of knew who I was, but not really because he hadn't obviously been on the team before. And so I was you know, some of the guys introduced him to, you know, me, and um, we were talking, I was like, so are you excited for media day? And he was like, he's like, no, I'm like, are you nervous? He's like, nah, like, I just don't feel like it. But you could tell he was nervous. And he, you could tell he what he had been nervous, like, through a first bit of media. Um, but he's, as he's, his game has gotten better, he's gotten a lot more confident with that. And it was really funny, I asked him after yesterday's game, I said, so both your you know, threes were from that same spot at, you know, the top left behind the arc. Is, is that your sweet spot? And he was kind of joking about it. And then someone else said, well, you're going to, you know, probably be shooting a lot more from there, huh? And he, he was, he kind of like rubbed his hands together and just got this look on his face. He was like, you know, when it went off my hand, I just, I just knew it was going. Like he just got like this kind of burst of confidence and goofiness that we haven't really seen from him, at least in terms of like what we've seen from the media. You can just tell he's getting so much more comfortable in his skin. That's definitely good to see if you're anyone on this team. I mean, every time these freshmen come in, two of them already departed, you really need guys like Dante Scott where his teammates are already saying they, they want him, that he's always fighting for them. and he, It's just he's such a good player to have, both on the court and off the court. You can really tell that he does everything he can. To, to win and just help his teammates. Yeah, everyone, I mean, Turgeon, everyone always talks about how he's the hardest working player. And he's really a coach's player in that regard. And that's going to take him far. I mean, like we said, his build is what it is now. Give him a, give him a summer with a full summer of Kyle Tarp. I mean, he's going to be insane next year. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be crazy. I mean, you're going to have a combination of Shoal Mary. I mean, Jalen's probably gone, but then next year you'll have Dante Scott and Shoal Mariel down low. And that's going to be pretty monster because, you know, both of them will have come to their own a little bit. I mean, Turgeon has talked about how Shoal is not really, like, at his 100% right now or even close to it. And he only played, like, two minutes yesterday and didn't really have any stat line. 
besides one foul. Um, but, I mean, I saw him warming up before the games, and he was hitting threes. I mean, he's 7-2, and he was warming up and hitting threes before the game. It's almost like Chris Stapps Porzingis in the NBA. I think he's 7-3, and he's really good at shooting. So if he could develop that, that's that's scary. That's really scary. Yeah, for sure. And also in this this game, you – yeah, so those were, you know, your three leading scorers there and, and Dante Scott, Jalen Smith, and Aaron Wiggins, as we talked about, having a good game against Wisconsin. He then had another good game against Purdue. He had 12 points and seven rebounds, as well as three assists and a steal. Um, and he was four for nine from the floor and two for six from three, but he was two for four from three until really late in that game um, when Purdue's defense was just really, you know, hurting the team and, they're having a bit of struggles in the second half. I mean, the first half, you look at the team, and that was the best start they've had all year, by far. Um, they went up 9-0, and then they get out to 20-4. to I mean, we haven't seen anything like that. I mean, before this, Marquette was the best game, in best game overall and best game in terms of starting, and I still think that was the most complete game. But this was the best starting game, because in that game against Marquette, they were going back and forth to start. But Maryland just jumped out to a dominant lead in this one, which was really good to see. At one point through the first half, they were shooting like 70% from three. They ended up ending the first half shooting uh, 46.7%, going seven for 15, and 14 for 26 for 53.8% from the floor. And then that dropped off in the second where they only shot 28% from the floor and couldn't hit a single three. They went 0 for 9 in the second half um, on three-point shots. Um, but that first half was really impressive. They just got to put it all together. But that was just so nice to see. I mean, literally every single game this year, no matter how dominant of a win it ended up being, there was always a slow start. So to see them jump out and not only have a fast start, but, I mean, they were up 20-4. to They were dominant. I mean, Xfinity Center was going crazy. So that's what we need to see, and now you just got to see that combined for two halves. Yeah, I think it was interesting how they really didn't come out in the second half and have that same play style that they have had all all the this year in the second half. And it, it was interesting that it was separated this game where it was more of the first half they were better. Yeah, they were up 16 points at the end of the first half. Yeah, and then the second half they let Purdue come back a little bit. But I think that if they do play a full game, they probably would have won by 20 or something like that. And that would have looked so much better, but they they can't let when they're up on teams like that. I, they did this well against Marquette. They didn't let Marquette come back. They are up the whole time, and they just kept giving it to them, kept doing it. And I think that they needed to do that against Purdue, where they let them come back a little bit. And I just don't think that can happen too often, especially in March. If that's happening in the tournament, that they, they have a chance to get upset. They have to just play a complete game. And I, I really don't know what what's missing and why they can't do it right now. But uh, John Rothstein tweeted yesterday. He said, Maryland has the most talent in the Big Ten, but they just have something missing, and he doesn't know what it is. But they're yet to show what that what that is. I don't so think Turgeon knows what it is either, if I'm being completely honest. I don't think anyone honest. knows what it is, but it, it, it might be the, the, the grit to win. 
it almost feels like. Like, that's what I don't get, right? Because at the beginning, that's the thing that, like, baffles me the most, is at the beginning of a season, we're at media day, and this is, like, one of the hungriest teams I've ever seen. You're hearing about how all summer everyone was putting in countless hours and how this was, like, the hardest working team the Trojans ever have. And I'm not saying that's not true, but... I mean, this team has talked so for so much at the beginning of the season about how hungry they were, but I'm not seeing it on the floor. And I, I thought that was what was going to separate this team, was the hunger and that grit. But, like, I feel like you're not seeing that for a complete game. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think they, they haven't played. They played that one complete game against Marquette. I mean... They've had now their second fast start. It seems like they have a slow start every game. But their ability to come back and their ability to win games like that is impressive. I think it'll be more impressive when they play a complete 40 minutes and they just dominate the team. And I think that needs to happen. There's no better time for that to happen than Northwestern on Tuesday. No better time. Get your first real road win. Get your first conference road win. That'd be a, a big confidence booster. Yeah, let me just say, first off, if they do not win here, there is a huge concern. I don't, I don't care what road records are in the Big Ten. The teams that have been able to win on the road have been against Northwestern. I mean, uh, Northwestern's just horrific. I, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They're, they're just pretty awful. Um, <laughs> there's no better way to put it than that. I mean... Right now, in terms of standings, they are dead last, and it's not even close. I mean, I guess it is a little close now that Ohio State's been stinking. But they have, I believe, one conference win. Yeah, they're 1-6 and six in conference, 6-11 and 11 overall. And they've lost two straight. Yeah, that's not good. Um, like, looking at their schedule, their wins this year, their six wins have come... Their one conference win is against Nebraska. Yeah, and Nebraska is like the second worst team, pretty much. But then, if you look at like their schedule, like their wins have been against Providence, Norfolk State, Bradley, Boston College, SIU Edwardsville, whatever that is. Sorry if you go there, but I've never heard of that school in my life. Um. And yeah, that's like it. Um, they've they lost to Merrimack. They lost to Radford. They lost to Pittsburgh. They lost like everyone in the Big Ten. Uh, it's just they're not a good team. <laughs> so if if you're Maryland, I mean, this, this is a, not only a road win that you need to get, but a road win where you got to win by at least fifteen points, in my opinion. This is not a good team and and, and you got to show that you're you're better than this i mean it's just they rank almost dead last in every statistical category in the big 10 um if you if you look at it right now they like we mentioned are dead last and then scoring offense they're 13th only scoring 66.8 points per game scoring defense is 10th allowing 66.8 points per game which by the way says a lot that the last team in the Big Ten in terms of scoring defense is allowing 74.8 points per game. Like, that's still not that much. But, like, that just says you how defense-minded this league is. Um, 
Then in terms of scoring margin, they're 13th. You know, they're only shooting 42.2% from the floor. Um, looking at some other aspects, they're one of the worst rebounding teams as well. They're 13th in terms of rebounding offense and 12th in terms of rebounding defense. They're last in block shots, last in steals. I mean, I could go on and on. They're just really bad. Um, I, I'm not sure what the exact number is on scholarship players they've left, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty slim. And their third leading scorer right now is actually pretty interesting, Pat Spencer. He uh, was at Loyola, Maryland as a Touraton winner and a lacrosse player and is now like their third leading scorer. That's just a pure athlete. But, yeah, what what are your takes on this Northwestern team? I mean, I can't say I've watched a lot of Northwestern basketball. I don't – if I can choose to, I'd rather not put myself through that. But they did hang around a little bit with Illinois yesterday, which surprised me, which I did watch. Yeah, I think they were hanging around. Illinois didn't really play too well. Um, but Northwestern – I'm looking at their height right now. They have a couple, I think they have three 6'10 guys and a 6'9 guy. And then 6'7. That's really it. I mean, but their 6'10 guys aren't going to be able to compete with Jalen Smith. And that's why Jalen Smith was the number 10 recruit in his class and goes to Maryland, who is a, a, a ranked team, a top team in the country. And he's playing like one of the best bigs. He's probably playing like the best big in the conference. Maybe Caleb Wesson. Maybe Luca Garza's up. Luca Garza. Garza's the best big in the conference right now by yeah, far. Luca Garza, but Jalen Smith's definitely playing. I would say top two or three behind Garza um, as a big man right now. So I think they need a big game out of him. They need a big. They don't even need a big game out of Cowan. They showed it. Cowan did not play at Purdue, but he also didn't take that many shots. I so mean, he did have seven assists. Yeah, that's I mean, also yeah, an overlook. I'm saying in terms of scoring, he okay. didn't play well. Um, that's that's where I don't I don't think they need him to score. And yes, he he has led the team in scoring pretty much his whole career, but he he really doesn't need to do that. And I think that's why this team is so good and so talented. Where like I compare this to the NBA, I I, I like the Knicks, so I'll, I'll use my Knicks references. How is the Knicks a good reference? They're horrific. When the Knicks had Carmelo Anthony and they needed him to get the ball every single time. They were possession. still trash. Yeah, they were horrible. So I'm saying <laughs> when if, if Anthony Cowan needs to score the ball in every possession, Maryland's not going anywhere. That's why I think this team is good. They have so you're so saying many... they're good because they're not the Knicks? No, because they don't, have, they don't have that guy that just, here, give him the ball. He needs to score, you know? Like, yes, they can do that, and it has worked. We show, we saw it against Illinois. It almost worked at Wisconsin. But I think that with supporting a supporting cast that is so talented, they really should win this game, even if Cowan – let's say Cowan doesn't even score a point. But he has like eight assists and grabs a couple of rebounds, has some steals, whatever. That's still a really good game other than points, and I think that other guys will step up. And we saw it against Purdue. So I really don't think that they need a big, a big scoring game out of him. I would like to see a big scoring game out of Eric Ayala, though. Yeah. I don't think he's had much confidence recently. Uh, I don't know what it is, but he is now starting. 
and he, when he, when he's getting introduced and his name is getting introduced at Xfinity Center, he looks like he's so confident. And then on the court, it kind of just goes away once he misses a couple shots. So I think he just needs to get into a rhythm like Wiggins is now. Yeah, but he has been playing playing better defensively. I will say that. Um, you know, stuff that doesn't really show up on stat sheet. But one thing I want to see against this Northwestern team is I want Maryland to be trying some new offensive looks. I mean, Turgeon has been saying he's been sawing new looks. This is the perfect game to show them and to test them out in real game situations. And I also think this is a game where I want to see Ch- uh, Chole play a lot more minutes. Uh, if Maryland can get a big lead or even if they have a decent lead early on, I mean, I was surprised he only played two minutes against Purdue. I really thought he was going to play more. I mean, he only had one foul. I mean, clearly, you know, Turgeon saw something there and, you know, he's dealing with, you know, still getting back in the groove and having the right energy and, you know, because his body's still adjusting to everything. But this is a game where I want to see him play more minutes. And I think that with the caliber of Team Northwestern is it's a game where you could, you know, see him play a lot more than we have been. Yeah, I definitely think against Purdue, he – it, it, it wasn't very evident, but he struggled a little bit defensively. He was getting yeah. beat, and he was getting bullied on the on rebounding as well. Um, but obviously, that can change. And week. Matt Harms is seven three, so it's like it's not he doesn't have the same size advantage that he normally would. He's also one of the top bigs in the conference. Yeah. Um, but a, a couple of days of practice, a new game. I think he could easily have a big game here. Um, this is a game that. It, it, it's there's no, there's really no must wins in college basketball, but this is the biggest the this is the closest thing to a must win for Maryland. If they can't go on the road and beat Northwestern, they're just going to keep playing down to their competition, and that that's what they get criticized for a lot is playing down to the competition and playing worse than the they don't even play up to competition because they're better than pretty much every team they play. They are. I mean. The best team that they play is was Ohio State. It almost seems what has like happened to Ohio State? They're falling off. They're they might not even make the tournament at this point. Um, they have two conference wins, so I, I don't know. There's just such disparity between everyone at this point. But I think Maryland is the most talented team in the Big Ten. I don't even know if it's close anymore. By the way, Michigan's struggling as well, so. I think that this is a must-win, and they really need to just get their first road win here. They do, and they have to do it, like you said, by 15, 20 points, whatever it is, and that'll give other guys a chance. We don't really get to see Ricky Lindo too much. We don't see Sorrell Smith too much. If Maryland's leading, get them in. Get them some points. Get them some you know, some minutes that, that are meaningful, at least, and it, it because they kind of come in towards the end of the first half, the middle towards the end of the first half, and then they don't really play. So there's no groove there for them. If, if they want to work on their depth, if Maryland wants to use their depth, they have to get out to a big lead early on and have these guys able to play and continue to play through a lead. And I think that there's no better time to, to win a big game on the road than in Evanston, Illinois against Northwestern on Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. And since we mentioned how defensive-minded this conference is, and you can definitely see that when you just look at Maryland's schedule. And, you know, they were scoring a lot early on in the season, obviously against non-conference opponents. But then you look at their past few games, and they've scored 
57, 54, 49, uh, 67, and 75. So more so the last three games, I mean, they haven't been able to crack 60. So that's also something that I think is crucial to see in this game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, they need to score more, and they need to defend even more. I mean, they, they've been defending well, but their defense translates into the offense, and that's how it's been. So com- if they completely just keep the defense the same, it's been playing pretty well. Um, obviously, Iowa was an outlier, but it's been it was really good against Wisconsin. It was really good against Purdue as well, holding them to under 60. So I think they need a big game defensively, which will be much easier, to say the least. I mean, Wisconsin is much better, and Purdue is much better. Purdue came off a win where they destroyed Michigan State. So Michigan State's in first place right now. They're the second-best team in the conference, in my opinion. Um, Who's the first? I th- well, in terms of talent, I think Maryland. Oh, okay. But uh, Michigan State might be a better complete team. Um, and that's why they're they're winning right now. But I think if Maryland plays a complete game and scores around 75 points, they should win this game easily. They just need to execute. And that's all it's going to come down to. So we will have all of our coverage for that game and beyond. I'll mention uh, women's basketball briefly. They're coming off a couple wins. Um, they lost to Iowa on the road the same week that Maryland did. They played, they played, uh, or Maryland men's basketball team did. Um, women's basketball played on Thursday night, and men's played Friday. They both lost. But then uh, the women's basketball team traveled on the road to play number 24 Michigan again. And Kyle Charles struggled, but the freshmen played really, really well, and they won that game. And then they had uh, Nebraska at home a couple of days ago. And they destroyed them by 19. So I think this 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 team at least is finding its groove now. Uh, it's a little bit different than the the men's conference where everyone's kind of losing. Um, but I think this women's basketball team now is is in a good spot. And now they host Indiana on Monday, which is currently ranked 15. I'm sure that'll change based on the new rankings. But Maryland at 20 right now, so that's a game they need to win as well. So it's two games that. That, or one game each for the men's and the women's team that both need to be won pretty much. Close games to must-wins that they've had all year. Uh, we'll have coverage for all of those on TestudoTimes.com, and we thank you for joining us on this episode of the Testudo Times podcast. All right, perfect.